Welcome to Honey and Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Now, I would just like to say, please leave a review. It really helps our podcast to be seen and to reach others. And don't forget, you can now support us through Patreon. So when you support us through Patreon, you'll receive special bonuses, be part of Ask Me Anything sessions, receive patron-only content, and be part of special draws for books and learning resources. You can go to our Patreon link on our website or in the show notes. Okay, now let's start the intro. Who did you interview in this episode, Mom? I interviewed Roya Dado. And why did you interview her? Um, somehow along the way, I I found out about Roya, and I think it was looking at a review or reference on an unschooling conference, and I was intrigued. I went to her website, and as soon as I was reading her website, I knew I wanted to have her on the show. Roya Dado is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's a grown homeschooler who lives with her husband, her two kids, and their brood of pets in Southern California, and I really wanted to hear her background on growing up unschooled. And did you enjoy the interview? Yeah, I loved the interview. Roya has a ton of excitement and passion in what she does. She's got great perspective as someone growing up unschooled, and especially perspective from the work that she does now in supporting families and relationships. And a great part of our conversation was talking about play because she strongly believes in the importance of play for all ages in learning, development, and just in our regular life and mental health. So she has some fantastic insight on this uh, because she does a lot of this in her personal and professional life. And would you like to say anything else about her? Definitely would direct everyone to her website, royadedo.com. It's www.royadedeaux.com where you can find out all about her and her new book that is coming up, Connect with Courage. And if that's all, enjoy the episode. So today I have Roya Dado on the show with me. Thank you so much for joining me today, Roya. Of course. Glad to be here. Roya is a licensed marriage and family therapist and grown homeschooler who lives with her husband, two kids, and assorted chickens and dogs in Southern California. Roya has an MS in counseling and a BA in recreation and leisure studies, which is a perfect combination of her interests how play and recreation impact mental health and relationships. She has a private practice in Los Alamitos and provides in-person and online sessions for clients of all ages. Her therapy website is www.royadado.com. Her first book, Connect with Courage, will be published soon. She is also a professor in the Recreation and Leisure Department at California State University, Long Beach, and loves getting to teach classes about play and leisure. She believes strongly in the importance and power of play for all ages and has spent the majority of her personal and professional life inspiring others to become more playful. This has culminated in her most recent business, providing workplace trainings for businesses on how play can improve 
productivity for any organization. Check out her trainings at www.royaspeaks.com. And in her spare time, she gardens, cooks, and practices other heritage crafts, such as crocheting handmade earrings, which she has for sale at royaboya.com. R-O-Y-A-B-O-Y-A.com. I love it. All the things. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I love that your your interests span a diverse spectrum here. Like It seems like you have um, yeah, many different parts of things that you're interested in that really make a beautiful whole. So I, I really, really like that. It's fun going through and looking at what the, what the connecting, unifying theme of all those things are. And to be honest, it hasn't changed since I was born. <laughs> so, really? oh yeah, this is, you know, looking backwards over my life. I was thinking about that actually, as I was thinking about this uh, interview and, um, it all really, really connects to homeschooling and my interests and how my parents supported those things. And it all makes a lot of sense when I look backwards that way. So, yeah. And so is it the joy of play and uh, creativity? Is that a major theme for you? Yeah. Play and creativity and also being able to do all the things, you know, just Mm -hmm. having the time as a kid to be able to pursue things and then jump around and pursue the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I was just thinking about that, that you know, part of the reason, you know, I've got kids now and people ask me all the time if I'm going to homeschool or put them in school. And I just, school is such a big time suck. (laughs) Just, we wouldn't have time to do school and all the other amazing things we're doing. And I think that was a big part for me is, you know, I was in a Shakespeare theater group and then I was on swim teams and soccer teams and Girl Scouts and we would do plays and, you know, just all these things that I wouldn't have had time for if I was in school and having parents that really, really supported those various interests of mine that all usually came with a pretty big mess side effect, but they were so supportive of that too. So, and that was a big part of their homeschooling philosophy. So actually there's two questions that come up right away. And I think it's also something that we can delve into a little bit after, but one is how old are your two kids right now? They are five and two and uh, Wyatt's going to turn six in May and Lily will turn three in February. Okay. So coming up pretty soon. Okay. So they're just kind of at the cusp of school, quote unquote, school age. Mm-hmm. If, if they entered school. Okay. Yeah. Wyatt has to get the questions about school. Sorry? Wyatt has just started, you know, when we're at line at the grocery store and stuff, he started to get the questions from random strangers right. about what school he goes to and that kind of thing. And they both look a lot right. older than they are too. Okay. Okay. And I, I know the other thing, and I, you know, we can talk about this more after as well is, you know, when you talked about being able to do many things like mm-hmm. that. And one thing that I know sometimes comes up is, you know, focus. Kids should focus on one thing. They shouldn't have diverted interests. They should get good at something. Or if they're, you know, if they have too many things that they like to do or are good at, good at they should really learn to concentrate on a few small things and, and really learn their work and diligence in that way. You know, that's something I've heard. And um, so it's actually really refreshing to hear that you had many different interests and things and activities that you're a part of and that your parents really supported that. And just personally and professionally, you know, the therapist side of me coming in here. Mm-hmm. I, couldn't, yep, do tell. I, yes, yes. I couldn't disagree with that sentiment more. <laughs> I just really. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I have I have whole, a whole book's worth of things to say about that as a matter of fact, hence uh, <laughs> the book. But yeah, I just think about like all the, and again, like I look, I look at my career, I look at my life now and it makes sense. There's a, you know, a path and there's common themes. There's a lot of art and a lot of connecting art with people and 
helping people stay playful and creative. And, you know, there's these things, no matter what the modality is, whether it's workplace trainings or therapy or writing, you know, that's kind of the overarching theme. But if someone, so there is something unifying there, but it took me a lot of years to figure that out. And if someone had come in when I was young and said, nope, you're not allowed to do that. Nope. Don't go make that connection. Nope. You have to stop doing this now and go do something else. I mean, I just think of all the internal and external connections that would have been shut down and shut off and who knows where I would have, Mm. you know, been. And I, I, yeah, I know support the dabblers in your life. It's a valid lifestyle. Okay. I'm writing that down to support the dabblers in your life. So I think we should maybe give a little bit of background for those that maybe are just being introduced to you, those that are listening, <laughs> and because um, I have some of the background, but I'm not <laughs> sure if everyone else does. And so you were raised as an unschooler, as a homeschooler, unschooler. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this? When did your, has, did your family always unschool? Did they choose to do this at a certain age? How did that come about? And maybe even why did that come about? I went to public elementary school till the end of fourth grade. And I've got two younger sisters, both three and then six years younger than me. And so we were all in, I guess my, my youngest sister, this, the one who's six years younger than I was, had made it through preschool. Um, and then I was in fourth grade and my middle sister was in first grade. And she was a really, really early reader, really, really advanced academically and was kind of being tortured in her classes um, because she wanted to read all sorts of, she was reading Ivanhoe, I think, in like first grade. And the teacher for read aloud time let someone else choose and they picked like goosebumps or something. And I, you know what, not to, people who are interested in goosebumps, it can connect you all sorts of things too. That was not one of her interests and um, she hated it. And it was, I think actually her first grade teacher who suggested the idea of homeschooling to my parents as a result of other things that came about from that. First grade teacher suggested homeschooling to your parents? I believe so. (laughs) Basically like this school or any school will not be serving her well in the future. Like this is just a glimpse of your life coming up if she stays in school where people are going to basically not be able to match what she needs. And they're yeah. going to have to go with what the general class wants and she's going to need something else. And Good on that teacher. Sorry. Yeah, no, you, but... phenomenal. Wow. And yeah, just yeah. absolutely staggering. Um, and then for my part, so I was in fourth grade And, um, my mom, you know, and she's a really active parent, um, in school and out of school. And she, um, um, again, confusing old family stories here a little bit, but basically she, um, she had come into a classroom and we had said something about like looking forward to going to the library over vacation. And then a couple kids jumped in and made fun of that and started teasing as a result of that. And she tells the story of how her eyes met my teacher's eyes across the room and the teacher like mouthed, I'm so sorry at her. And Mm -hmm. my mom really didn't love the idea that our love of learning was starting to be squashed by other kids and not supported. And so I think it was just a matter of she thought that she could just do better for us at home. And we then, um, so we finished out that school year and then just didn't go back. Um, and I was angry. I was really upset. <laughs> I, uh, I was about to be a fifth grader. The next year I was going to get walkers. I was going to be the oldest kid in the school or oldest, you know, group of kids in the school. And I was really social and I liked people. And I'd had the good fortune of my, my fourth grade teacher who was wonderful. She had also been a student teacher when I was in second grade. So I'd gotten her for two years and, you know, your teacher can really make or break your school experience. And she was wonderful. 
but she was a rare, she couldn't handle the school system either. Later on, it turns out she ended up quitting and is educating in other ways because she said that the system wasn't allowing her to teach. And so she was wonderful. Um, but my mom told us that we were going to start homeschooling. I threw a giant fit. I stopped talking to her for a week. Um, she paid me off with art supplies and school supplies and said, if you will trust me, we will try it for three months and then you can decide and you can go back. And on our first official day of homeschooling, I believe she took us to SeaWorld. And on our second official day of homeschooling and every day for like a week after that, she took us to the beach and we would drive past the school where all the kids were lining up behind a gate going in and I'd be all loaded up with swim stuff ready to go. You know, it's Southern California. So when school starts, it's still nice and hot and beach weather out here. Um, And we would pass by the school and she'd, you know, maybe make a comment or not about how all those kids had to go sit inside all day and not go to the beach. And uh, it wasn't (laughs) until I was much older that I realized that that school was not on the way to the beach. Um, Maybe a little (laughs) out of her way to drive us past that. Um, And then honestly, I don't remember the three month mark. It came and went. And like I said earlier, we were just so busy. We wouldn't have had time to fit school back into our lives at that point. Wow. And so everyone, your sisters as well, were quite happy to not be part of school and, and start your new journey in unschooling? Yeah, I think so. Um, my youngest, like I said, hadn't, had never done, um, public elementary. My grandma ran a preschool, so she had been at that preschool and it was great. And, My middle sister, I think, was thrilled to be able to just have as many hours as humanly possible to read and Mm. be a part of, you know, our Shakespeare theater groups. And they did a lot of things like Destination Imagination as well. Right. My youngest did, my youngest sister, excuse me, did 4-H. And we were, yeah, we did a lot of things. We had homeschooling groups and conferences at that point, all sorts of things. So, yeah. And when you started, did your mom know any other homeschoolers or unschoolers or was it kind of just like, she's like, you know what, I'm confident I'm going to take this leap of faith and let's start it and try it. I be- So I knew one family that was homeschooling. They had been in school with us. She was a friend of mine. And then they had left school the year before, but they left and were homeschooling, I believe, for pretty strict school at home religious reasons. Um, okay. And then... My mom, I don't, I honestly don't know the timeline if this was actually before we started homeschooling. I think it was. She had been to a conference or two just on her own and was on, back in the day, I think it was AOL message boards where all this homeschooling talk was happening. Mm -hmm. And so she was pretty active on those. But our whole family on her side, they're all early childhood educators. My grandma taught university to high school and did a lab high school that was a preschool as well. All of my family were involved in early childhood education and almost all of them were on board to some extent with homeschooling, at least for young ages. So I think she was pretty confident, but also had that kind of to back her. Yeah. Which can be a lot. Like having that extra support, especially from family surrounding you is just part of that supportive community. Yeah. It, it does help yeah. quite a bit. So, you know, as someone who grew up unschooling then for the rest of your time, actually, I should ask, did you start as unschoolers? Did you start as homeschoolers? How would you, would you even define what you did? When you go to the beach every day for the first week, you call that unit study, right? So we uh, we did an ocean unit study um, at the very beginning. I think I remember like writing a pirate sea shanty at some point. Um, And then I think we joined a charter briefly went on one field trip. And I remember I really, really didn't like 
it. And then pretty quickly after that, we were, we were unschooling. And I, from what I gather, that was my mom's plan all along. She was just kind of easing us into it. Um, and then, yeah, I think that was pretty quickly after that. I started taking college classes um, when I was 13. And then both my sisters also did pretty young as well. Um, but yeah, I think we did, like I said, that one week of unit study and, <laughs> and then we were. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. Okay. okay. So then, so then for you growing up and schooling, what were some of the benefits and challenges that you faced? And I know this is something that a lot of homeschooling and unschooling parents like to hear from someone who's had that experience growing up and then, you know, becoming an adult and living adulthood but growing up with the experience of unschooling or homeschooling, from your point of view, what were some of the benefits and challenges that you faced? Well, one of the interesting things now is homeschooling. I mean, I'm 34. Um, so I was, what, nine or 10-ish when we started homeschooling. And the homeschooling community was shockingly different when we started homeschooling. I was just thinking about, like, I got invited on Facebook this week to however many homeschooling park days within 15 minutes of my house. And (laughs) back then we would drive like up to two hours. It would rotate every week to a different park all over Southern California so that homeschooling families could gather together and it would never be too far from any one family. So it's really changed a lot because I would say one of the hardships for me was I'm a super social person and once a week park day wasn't enough for me. And so, I mean, we did a lot of other things. We did, like I said, teams and theater and all sorts of things, but I wanted a lot of that. And my middle sister did not want as much of that as I did. So that was always something to navigate with our family. But honestly, if I, if I were my kids today, that wouldn't be nearly the hardship to find other homeschoolers. And then as I got older, because I was doing things like I was really involved in our ceramics department at at our community college. And I had started to really form friendships based on interest, not just, you know, you're the same age, all in the same classroom and you all live within three blocks of each other. So those are your friends. So I was friends with a lot of people significantly older than I was and pretty rough transition period there where I was like 13, 14, 15 you know, maybe even 16 where I was like old enough and I wanted to hang out with them and they were all going to a bar or, you know, going out and doing other stuff. And I was just not old enough to do that. So that part was rough. And then, and as I got older, that just got easier. But then benefit wise, I mean, so many that the first one that comes to mind just because we talked about it already was just the time, the ability to do things, the ability to, to sink in and focus on something I'm a dabbler, but I'm a, I'm a both feet in dabbler. I mean, for those three weeks, I'm doing something <laughs> that's all I live and breathe and eat and sleep, um, at a, you know, for that chunk of time. And so being able to just like pursue whatever it was that I was doing for hours and hours and hours every day was really, really important for me and wonderful to be able to get, um, so many, you know, all those friendships that I had with people who were older than me, I mean, or younger than me, um, or the friendships with whole families instead of just one individual. I mean, I really, I credit honestly going to, um, like homeschooling campouts and stuff as a big part of why I got interested in marriage and family therapy. I was seeing, I think more than your average school kid, seeing a lot of family dynamics play out right in front of me. And I loved it. I was fascinated by it. I really liked to go visit people and sleep on their couch and see how they, you know, just lived and did stuff. So I think that was a big part of um, this part of my life too. 
Did you have a lot of school friends that you still kept in touch with and hung out with through the years or did that kind of filter out after time? That filtered. Um, I had friends who went to school. I didn't keep many of the friends that I had myself in school. You know, when I was on swim teams, I think I was the only homeschooled kid on the swim team. Maybe there's one or two others, you know, but um, so most of my friends on that, they went to school, but they hadn't been my friend when I was in school. And that took a while to kind of fade out. It wasn't like all of a sudden we just weren't seeing them. I know my mom made it a pretty big point to help us still hang out and get together. But at some point, your social lives just revolve around what's happening, where you're spending most of your time. And um, I don't know, honestly, I, I don't know how your school history or background or the, those of the listeners here, but it's one of the things that I keep remembering talking to my clients who do go to school is how much of your social life really revolves around like the ice cream socials and the events and the all that kind yeah. of stuff at school. And so when you're not a part of that, it just kind of got phased out. But honestly, then when Facebook started happening, I found a couple of them on Facebook. So I actually oddly am friendlier now with some of those than I I was for a while in my teens and stuff. So, you know, I was going to ask you actually, if there was anything, you know, now as a parent that you would do differently. And I guess I could still ask you that, but I also understand, like you said, how much just homeschooling and that community and unschooling has changed over the years and the access to each other that we have that we wouldn't necessarily have before. Because I even think of geographic location. You're in Southern California. Mm -hmm. So it's a fairly high, dense population compared to where I live in Northern Alberta, Canada. (laughs) And, you know, there are absolutely where I live, there's a like the amount of homeschoolers in this province is growing. Actually, we're the this province is the fastest growing number of homeschoolers in all of Canada. And it just would have been, I think, really difficult to be fairly isolated, which we are, and not have the tools and technology that we have nowadays to keep us uh, in touch and, and keep us, you know, questions answered and communicating and things like that, where we still have to drive a ways, but at least we know what's going on. Yeah. North, south, east, and west Absolutely. of us in that way. I even think like my um, my five-year-old, we went to a Free to Be is a wonderful unschooling conference in Phoenix, Arizona. Yes, yes, I've it's heard of it. Just yes. a delightful conference. And um, we met our now best family friends, you know, there. And our we have kids who are all kind of in line with each other. And Wyatt and Weston, and of course, they both start with W, so it's perfect. Um, w. <laughs> they met and hit it off so much. I think they were... Th- and um, loved each other. And so they ended up doing Skype Play-Doh dates for a while. (laughs) And it was super cute. Um, We would just set up Play-Doh, both of us on either end, and set up the computers. And they would sometimes talk to each other and sometimes not, but they'd sit there and Play-Doh together. And and then I convinced them to move to Southern California. And now they live four minutes away from me. So that (laughs) That has changed our life. But but before that, Skype Play-Doh dates. (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) and interesting that it's the rhyme play-doh and (laughs) dado that had nothing to do with it at all did it i don't think so i think that might have even been their idea but (laughs) (laughs) i like it as you can see i like it (laughs) so would there be anything that you would do differently as a parent now uh you're choosing the unschooling journey for your child compared to how you grew up unschooling? Maybe this is not a, maybe it's a little bit of a, I don't know, a bomb question or I don't know, but you can answer it if you want to. You don't know. It's to. fine. Um, my, it's funny. My mom speaks a lot at conferences and stuff. Um, and so we, we both get asked this 
and uh, sometimes in each other's presence. And that's always fun. Yes. Pamela Zerushian, you should have done everything different. No, um, not at all. I, well, it's kind of interesting because it turns out I am doing things differently. I don't have the same spouse that my mom did, you know? So it's, it's a different, it's completely different. We're not in the same time. It's a different homeschooling context. Um, so, so things are really different. Like for example, I am using, um, a charter school and hadn't imagined ever doing that when I was, you know, contemplating having children realistically when I was a little bit younger, but my, my husband went, you know, had nothing to do with homeschooling. Um, he went to public school all the way through um, and enjoyed it, had a great public school experience, was smart, social, got lots of things out of it. Um, and I don't even know if he'd really heard of it until he met me or thought anything at all about it. So he, and he's super busy and has, um, he does a lot of firefighting in his line of work. And so conference season, he's usually unable to attend. So it's kind of a big leap of faith and trusting me on all of this. Um, but so I do things a little bit differently to help assuage some of his fears and his concerns. So, um, using a charter schools worked out really well because I can be like, look here, (laughs) a certified person is looking at our stuff and saying everything's okay. Or I translate just kind of what we do in our life into that, like educational ease for him. Um, I put up a bulletin board that shows like, look, science time when we were, I don't know, at the park (laughs) or playing with mud at mud days at Rancho Los Cerritos or, you know, that kind of thing. I sort of translate for him. Which I do think is important because that also brings up how, you know, a spouse that maybe is not as familiar with something with alternative education or homeschooling or unschooling, there's a lot of fears when it's an unknown. So I really get how, and I think that's great, how you are in a lot of those ways helping him to see that it's okay, you know, that those fears are, it's okay to have those fears and here's how we're going to work with them. I think when I was younger, I would have, I don't think I know this about myself. Um, I was a little bit more militant and like unschooling is the best thing ever. And then since then I've had a lot of clients. I've seen a lot of people where school was really a wonderful thing for them. It was maybe a safe haven when a family was chaotic or that kind of thing. And so that was the first step for me in kind of relaxing that stance. And then since then as well, you know, unschooling has been an incredibly rich and rewarding thing in my life that I credit with a lot of who I am and why I am and and things like that. And I think that absolutely can be for so many people. But I think that the relationship I have with my husband and other people and their spouses probably is going to impact my kids and their success and their resilience and well-being more than living by any particular ideology. And so if he, so I guess that's the thing that I'm not exactly doing differently, but it's definitely a different viewpoint than I had when I was a kid was if he, for some reason was like, nope, this is the worst thing ever. This is ruining our children. I have to take that seriously and, and adjust and pay attention to that. But I mean, he loves me and trusts me. So I doubt that that'll ever happen. But I think in the past I've said no unschooling no matter what and and maybe impacted our relationship negatively as a result. So I think relaxing a little bit on yeah. the philosophy and paying more attention to the like well it's kind of like unschooling right there right paying attention to my real life husband and my real life kids instead of the idea or concept of what I thought it would be. Right, right. Yeah, and thank you for saying that. I think that is absolutely important because 
you know, so many people talk about as well that unschooling is a lifestyle. It's a family lifestyle, but like family support and cohesion is extremely important for a child's development. I mean, you know, you, I don't even need to say this. You, you, you know, you know, you said it already. And, and that is, um, yeah, that's a primary, that's a primary thing to, to, to have at the forefront. Absolutely. Cause it does come up when people ask, you know, I really want to do this and I'm all for it. Yeah. My spouse is yeah. completely against it. What do I do? Should I push it and just force it? And he'll come to his, or, you know, she'll come to his, you know, to come to her conclusions or, you know, whatever. And, um, no, but that usually we don't, doesn't we don't learn when we feel threatened. We are not open-minded when we feel coerced. Yeah. yeah. And we know that's funny. The people who are saying that okay. are understanding that about their kids and their education or their learning, right? That's why they're coming to unschooling. Right. And somehow we kind of turn off that part of our brain when we think about our spouse sometimes. So, Right. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I know you actually just perfectly segued into what I was going to ask you next was, you know, how have, have your core beliefs changed or adjusted through this journey and through your life on education and parenting and unschooling? But I think you really <laughs> answered it right there that, you know, like yeah. you said, they have adjusted in those ways and they've adjusted well for how you are, where you are right now and for your family and the needs of your family. So I try. And yeah, if I had a different spouse, that might have adjusted differently, but it is definitely, um, a whole new ball game when you're, you know, parenting with another person who has their whole lifetime worth mm-hmm. of messaging <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, you know, all of that. I, I was thinking about my, my dad was not super on board with it either to begin with. And, um, he, again, same kind of deal where he trusted my mom and, um, I think she did kind of the same thing with him as she did with us. Like, can we try it for three months and then we can talk about it? And, um, cause she was definitely leading the charge on that. But he was really big into soccer. Or he's always been big into soccer, but he he coached a lot. And especially um, my younger sister's teams for just, I don't know, decades, I think is not an exaggeration. And I remember for him, kind of the turning point was coaching mostly public schooled kids and getting to hear them and hear what kind of schoolwork they were doing and how they were talking and what the drama was at school and spending a lot of time with kids from public school that were his kids' ages. And that sort of solidified for him that, yep, homeschooling is a good thing. (laughs) We're doing something right. (laughs) All is well. Keep on keeping on. (laughs) That's interesting because it also comes up as well when you don't have any information or other reference. And so you don't know. And then once you do learn that, you know, there's that old stereotype of homeschoolers are these weird, awkward, unstable kids kind of thing. But, you know, there's, I mean, you have a broad difference for anyone, whether they're homeschooling, going to school or whatever they're doing. But yeah, yeah, it gives you a bit of a different reference point. Yes, it does. So um, I want to also ask you, because I'm actually really happy that you decided to uh, grant my request to come on the show. And especially because of your background as well um, with unschooling and then becoming a a marriage and family therapist. And I know you are a huge advocate of play. Mm -hmm. And I would love to talk a little bit more about that as well. So play and how you've incorporated it. uh, do, Do you find that Part of it is because of your experience of having the space and the time to to play and to delve into all different interests and, and that seeing that importance for today, that's that's why it is important to you. I, yes, absolutely. I, I think that that was a huge part of it. 
And then more so than just the actual act of play, like playing with Lego or playing with dolls, I think the overall feeling of playfulness and gamefulness to me, and that I think was a present in my life growing up and contributing or contributed in large part because of the homeschooling. Well, first off, if uh, you're listening to this and you have not yet read or watched any of Jane McGonigal's books or TED Talks, go forth and do that. Because um, she talks, especially in her second book, Super Better, a lot about the idea of gamefulness. And um, for me, I've kind of boiled that idea down to like the, the feeling of being able to take things on as a challenge versus a threat. And having your own levels of like self-esteem and confidence and resilience where you feel like you are capable of taking on challenges and that you have the skills or the resources or the allies to accomplish quests and epic wins and, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm a therapist and a lot of people come into my office because of anxiety or depression, relationship issues, life transition kind of stuff, and feeling like their well-being is threatened in some way. And so what we work on is gaining the qualities and skills, building resilience, changing their own narrative so that they feel like they can be a hero in that story, you know, that they can do that. And so I really do credit homeschooling and unschooling with my even paying attention to that idea and then giving me those particular skills for being able to do that and look at things as a challenge that I can tackle and accomplish versus a threat to me, my life, my well-being. Um, and I think a big part of that is the trust that my parents gave to me, not by saying I trust you, but by letting me make a lot of choices, all the choices really. I mean, I suppose for like there's logistics and stuff, but anytime they could, I was making the choice. I was making the choice about whether to be in this group or that group, whether to read this or that, whether to spend my 14th hour working on my zine or get up and do something else. And so by letting me make those decisions about my time and my interests, they were letting me really, really learn how to trust myself. And I think that is an incredibly key piece in being gameful and playful and having healthy mental health it's not just about play, it's about trust. And in order to also be able to play, because I think sometimes, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel sometimes that our kids, because they don't have as much space and time and allowance just to play and just to play, right. not like, and I don't mean organize, let's set up a play date, right. let's go here, we're going to do this for two hours with your friends, and then we're going to do this, yep. but just unstructured allowance of play and freedom that it's almost like when you don't have that safety and room to do that, you almost stop using it so you forget how to play. It's almost like some are forgetting how to just play or they've never known how to play. Oh, it's a scientific, I mean, there's studies about this. Absolutely. We, it, um, it's called neural pruning, which basically means we, we keep the connections we use over and over again, and we prune off or brain prunes off the connections that we don't or the neural pathways that we don't use. And so play is the foundation for basically every positive emotion that we can experience, you know, a sense of control, mastery, expertise, fun, security, support, comfort, exploration, adventure, curiosity, all these things, that's play is the avenue for that. And so when we have ample time and experience to have those moments and have that in our life, and those are the neurotransmitters flooding our brain, and over and over and over again, those are the pathways that get kept. And that's why then later in life, we it's easier for us to tap into those particular 
feelings and those neurotransmitters. And the reverse is true. There's a lot of studies on play deprivation and what happens to somebody if they are deprived of play or not provided time for healthy play behavior. And that's where we see the opposite of those. Lots of stress, lots of anxiety, lots of fear, increased impulsive behavior, lack of conflict management skills, feeling under fire or under duress, all those things that, again, make learning impossible or difficult, I should say. And then... So play for kids is so incredibly important that way. And it, and unstructured playtime really is declining. Peter Gray is a really great resource mm-hmm. in terms of the numbers and minutes and all the stats on unstructured playtime. He's been on the show. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Um, and his articles are just, they're easily accessible and easy to access in terms of understand. Um, but yeah, unstructured play is so important for that. And then, I mean, if we're talking about like the benefits for our brain too, Schools do this fake thing, which is divide things into subjects, right? Which is so counter, I just, I'm baffled often by the (laughs) decision-making process in some of these systems. But, and so play is one of those areas too, where we can make more connections that we're not stopping and thinking, oh, nope, I cannot keep going here because that's science and I'm doing math right now. And so play gives us access across a lot of different subjects, across a lot of different people, um, which is healthy for our brain development as well. And homeschoolers just are kind of a step up, a step ahead, I suppose, where this is concerned because so many people, you know, they're not trying to stop and segment things into false categories or they just have more time to go play and do things. They have access to, to more varied people, Um, again, they're not just playing with, you know, for 15 minutes at recess with kids exactly their own age, they're able to play longer with people of more ages. And when you're learning things like conflict management or teamwork or communication through play, it's really nice to have people of varying levels and abilities, um, and things like that. And so I, yeah, again, I digress. I can talk about this forever. Play is really, 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 really important. (laughs) I, I understood that and I, you know, reading more about your bio as well, too. And that's actually why I wanted, because I actually skipped a couple questions because I thought we probably need some more time to delve into this. So that, you know, and I also didn't want to throw you off because I actually on purpose did that. So, no, that's, I want you to talk more about it. I think it's actually really important. And it's something as well that I know we see in our communities as well is mental health and like stability and resilience, but, but especially the support around mental health. I I don't know. And and like, what are your thoughts? Some people say, are things getting worse nowadays? Have things changed? And the struggles that kids and the reactions as well that kids are having in school, especially like what's going on and how do we support them? You know, and there's not enough supports to, to help them as well. Right. What, is there a difference nowadays some compared to what there used to be? And is that a big link? Is that there's just no time for freedom and, and structured play? Well, there's definitely a link. And, and again, I'm sure Peter Gray talked about this because I know he's written about it. There is a link between increased mental illness and anxiety and depression and decreased unstructured playtime. He's done the studies. So I'll let that, him speak for himself. But there, there does seem to be a link, not necessarily for homeschoolers, but for the general population. And, but I wasn't around, you know, for uh, other than the last 34 years. So I don't know personally about the differences there. But what I am feeling like I'm seeing a pattern in is for especially teens and kids, but I think overall, honestly, is a sense of decreased control over a lot of things and Mm. decreased sense of control 
definitely contributes to higher levels of anxiety and depression, issues with relationships and communication, decision-making, all these things. And so I do think that play is one of the antidotes to that. This is why like people worry about video games adding to contributing to violence and Video games are really different than, for example, watching violence on the news. And a big part of that is because when you're playing a video game, you literally have the controls in your hands. And so it doesn't do the same thing for us when we're playing a video violent, a violent video game, excuse me, as if we're watching something violent uh, that's happening in the news that we have no control over. That is distressing, anxiety producing, all of that stuff. Playing a violent video game, not an issue. We control it. And so when we play more, Again, we build up the skills that help us feel like we can do something about the distressing, bad stuff in the world. So we build our teamwork, our communication skills, our conflict management skills. Um, we build our sense of divergent thinking, being able to um, come up with multiple solutions for something. Um, I was actually just reading something. I can't remember what school it was from. It was from an Ivy League admissions office um, where they were saying that they're now using whether or not high school students have had auto body or wood shop as a big determining factor in their admissions because, yeah, yeah. because they wanted now, they're looking for students who can problem solve and who can think creatively and who can think outside right. the box. And with such a huge focus on standardized education, they were seeing a dramatic lack in students who were able to do that. And so those who had auto body woodworking, you know, things where they, I think even theater was on the list, which makes a lot of sense, but students who were using their hands and running into problems and then having to problem solve them in a kind of playful, gameful way do a lot better with future problem solving, creative thinking, divergent thinking, and that's what the world needs. And so um, it's really interesting to see how that's impacting all that kind of thing. So yeah, so and play is the place where we learn that. <laughs> I mean, really. Right. Get to yeah. practice it. Yeah. yeah. So more play for all the people. So what would you say if you, for example, you had a family that came in and say they weren't homeschooling and just say, you know, they're like, we just can't, you know, whether it's financially or physically or whatever reason, school right now is the best option. But we are extremely busy and, you know, our kids go to school all day. Maybe they have some other after school activities and there just isn't a lot of room for play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we work a lot. What would you suggest? Um, well, I do have clients like that. And one of the big things that I ask people to do is stop and really look at the have to's. Because a lot of times we get trapped in these ideas of like, we've got to do this and we have to do that and we have to do that. And when you stop and look at, okay, but what's really the worst thing that would happen if I didn't do that thing? Why am I thinking I have to do that? Who, what judgment am I worried about? Or what's the consequence if I don't do all of those things? Very often we can find some more room for the things that we want because we realize like, oh, okay, I'm doing that because that's the idea of what I've always had that a parent should be, but really that's not the thing that would benefit my kid right now. Or I'm doing that because that's what the school told me I need to do, but you know, the public school does not run your whole life. Um, I, I, honestly, the thing that comes to my mind right now is just homework, the amount of homework the kids have, um, yes. which I think is one yes. of the biggest factors in cutting out a lot of playtime for kids. And is one of the things that, again, no studies show that that level of homework is actually helpful for anybody. And yet there are so many studies that show that more play is really helpful for people. 
So I don't know, as a parent, I like to, or as a therapist, I like to remind parents that they get to run interference for their kids. Um, they can tell the school, no, we're not doing that much homework. (laughs) Just no, they can help their kids with their homework more. They can remember that schools don't have an all time forever hold on their kid. All sorts of creative ways to handle that. I think I had my cousin actually real smart guy, uh, a little older than me. So this is again, through family stories, I might be telling slightly wrong, but he got all straight A's on the things that he did in school. And then, and this was through high school, refused to do any homework because he said, you already got me for eight hours a day. You don't get me for any more time. And so I think he ended up graduating with a solid C because um, A's in the classroom and zeros on everything else. And just was like, no, this is not <laughs> what I'm doing with my life. And so I just want to remind parents that, you know, is your kid's mental health and their relationship with you the more important thing? or spending another hour on whatever busy work their teacher thinks they need right now. Not that I'm right. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I think I, I think a lot of parents are going to appreciate that and take that to heart. And and I think I'm I'm guessing your cousin is all right. Yes. He's doing your cousin that graduated mm-hmm. with a solid C. He's he's a good He's doing he's fine. Doing he fine. has a wonderful relationship with everybody he knows. He's got kids who are wonderful and sweet. He is a good person. All these things matter. I don't remember even where he graduated high school, to be honest. So I just wish, honestly, and this sounds so terrible, and you're giving me the chance to vent, but I wish I could go into the minds and hearts of parents of high schoolers and high school students and just let them know how little high school matters. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> so do tell, tell well, us more. There's so tell many workarounds. <laughs> I, I guess because high school just takes up so many hours of every kid's life and there's so much pressure, so much pressure. I mean, that's what so many of my, my clients are coming in is the pressure from high school and the amount of homework and the, the grades. And this is going to determine your entire rest of your life. And that's part of what my they're, they're fighting about with their parents and just over and over and over again. And at an age where developmentally speaking, they're supposed to be forming other groups with their friends and spending a lot of time on interpersonal relationships and sleeping a lot more and all these things that, that school is really not set up to let them do more of. And, you know, there's, you don't need high school. (laughs) No, I don't know how else to, to help people understand this. You can... If you need a diploma, there's other ways to get a diploma. There's a lot of different tests and equivalency exams that you can do. You can just go straight to community college and not worry about any of that at all whatsoever. There's uh, the face of college is changing. I'm a college professor as well, and college is changing. We don't even know in 10 years if it's going to look the way it looks right now. There's more and more of a focus on learning trades and trade school and things like that. And so, and again, you're graduating high school with a 4.0 and the number of teen suicides is going up and a lot of them as a result of the push for perfection and that kind of pressure. And so ah, just, yeah, too much time being spent on something that there's an easy workaround. (laughs) And I think, I mean, you're an example of that as well, because you, uh, you went to college and university, you received a degree and a master's degree, and yet you did not attend traditional high school. Did you get a high school diploma? Um, what did I do? No, I took the, in California, we have something called the California High School Proficiency Exam, the CHESPI. And I think I was 15 when I took it. And it's basically, you know, GD, but I think GED, you have to be 18. Um, honestly, the only reason I took it was I was a full-time student at our community college by that point taking 18 units. And I had been for a couple years 
and they changed the rule where students without a high school diploma, if they were under 18, could only take six units. And that was, I was taking 18 units at a time. And so I just went one Saturday morning and spent a couple hours taking this test so that I could take the class. <laughs> so technically I have that. I don't think my That's sister hilarious. did that. I think that my mom at that point just filed the, what's now called a PSA and did the private school route for them and just said, yep, good job. You're graduating. <laughs> I think that's hilarious because people get this worry of, oh, well, if kids aren't in structured school with homework and teachers telling them what to do and parents telling them what to do, they're never going to do anything. Like they won't. They'll just have this time and they will use it unwisely and they would never get something like either high school diploma or anything like that. So that's why I said that's funny because this, the irony of that is rings very true with your story in that well, way that it's not true. It's no, it's not. And once you have even a little bit of college, nobody ever cares about high school anymore, ever again. That's right. Um, yeah. And I've never been asked to show any of that. Um, no one's ever followed up. I could write anything I want on those applications and no one ever <laughs> asked. Okay. So then how about, so your husband and kids right now, because you said your husband, he loved public school. He had a great experience mm -hmm. and I'm guessing he probably had a family that was fairly supportive around in his life as well too, family and friends. And that helped probably enhance his childhood experiences. But I, I mean, obviously I, I don't know your husband or you at all. So, um, but your kids, so he's coming into this, not knowing anything about homeschooling. Mm -hmm. And he says, okay, Roya, you know, you uh, have experiences. I trust you. You know what you're doing. Are you guys taking it year by year? Or is he, you know, is there anything that he's saying, you know, but when they get older, maybe we should consider this? No, he hasn't put anything like that in the air. I mean, he always reserves the right, of course, as the other parent of my children, that if there came a point that he something was worrying him, that we'd talk about it. Honestly, I think a big part of why he loved school so much was uh, school was a very supportive place for him when there was some chaos and other things happening in his life. And so mm -hmm. I think he's pretty cognizant of the fact that his kids are not living his life either mm, and have okay. a different, you know, uh, level of, I mean, even extended family, for example. I live within 10 minutes of all of my mom's side of the family and he didn't have that growing up either really. And so, so yeah, I don't think I stand. Correct yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, loving, like we've got, I've got great in-laws and everything, but um, just a different, it's just different, um, different level of, I think, engagement and stuff due to some different things happening uh, in his upbringing. And definitely it feels like there's been a sense of like, uh, People are reconnecting in wonderful ways, especially since having kids. So, um, mm. but he, yeah, there's never been like a, yep, but if they fall behind on this, you know, then absolutely no. And I think he's more nuanced than that too. I think that if he, cause it does, I mean, I'm sure it does worry him. We've talked about this, that he wouldn't want, he, he worries about kids getting behind whatever behind means. And that's usually my first question to him is like, what, what are you comparing them to? What's this imaginary line that you are, have pulled out as our barometer of success? And then talking about the actual things he's worried about tends to yield more success in our conversation than just, oh, nope, school is the answer or nope, unschooling is the answer. Um, a little, I mean, and again, like I said, we do things a little differently than I did growing up. He works, he's a, so he's a park ranger, um, but he does, he works in the, 
in the center of Los Angeles at Griffith Park. And there's a lot of law enforcement that he does and firefighting and search and rescue. And he's a sergeant. He's a senior ranger in charge of a lot of things. And a lot of it is like legitimately life and death. It's not, that's not an exaggeration. And so his sleep, really, really important. Um, so little things like we don't have like a, I don't know how to say it without it sounding like we have a bedtime and it's not, it's flexible. You know, if there's other things going on, we go do those things. It's supportive. I try to help them wind down. I go lie down with them. You know, we listen to Roger the rabbit is the best sleep aid ever. You know, there's stuff like that. Like it's not set in stone. We're not skipping other things because we have a super early bedtime, but there's a point where it's like, okay, let's all go settle down. Let's all go wind down. A lot of it has to do with what his schedule is. We pay attention to his schedule and and try to be respectful of that. And honestly, I don't think that that's like anti-unschooling. It's just, there are some people. Yeah. What works for your family. Yeah. And that's, what's important. That's the primary, right? Right. Yeah. 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 No, completely. I completely hear that and understand that. There'd be things I'm sure as they get older that I'm going to have to say no to because of that, but hopefully Mm -hmm. not just arbitrarily, but because like, okay, so this is our family and this is how it's going to work. And how can we make, you know, thinking creatively and all that kind of stuff. So. And so I think probably knowing that because of his work environment and you probably both really connect on the importance of play and rest and the importance of on mental health with all of that connection as well. Yeah, it's been really interesting. He's been doing this leadership institute lately where they talk a lot about that. It's for law enforcement specifically. Um, And some of the books he's been reading have really highlighted the need for restorative experiences when you're a law enforcement. So it's been fun. And he has the same degree. That's where we met. We both have degrees in recreation and leisure studies. And um, so that's actually, I just found some notes. We took, um, we took every class (laughs) together after we met. Um, And I, and yet, no, I did not like him for years. Um, (laughs) We took every single, every single class together. I found notes that we passed in a child development class that we took together. And one of the notes that I wrote asks, would you ever consider unschool- or homeschooling really? your kids? And he wrote back. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Um, I should, I'll have to find it again and scan it. I would like to save that. Um, and he wrote back something like, I never really thought about it, but it's like, you've only had regular M&Ms your whole life and then discover <laughs> peanut or something like that. <laughs> it was really funny and cute. And so it's kind of fun because we've been talking about that kind of thing even before we were together. So. <laughs> well, it seems like he got it from long ago. So like he was pretty open to the new experiences. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. So then maybe because I know we're getting to our time too. And I know you're a busy lady and I want to respect that as well. And I'm thank you for, for this hour you granted me. So could you maybe talk a little bit because this is going to be published soon your book connect with courage because even from the title i'm thinking that this actually will really uh, have a good connection to what we're talking about today so could you tell us a little bit more about it yes absolutely um so if any of you have uh who are listening have heard me speak or talk about anything else it's the same book that was called protect their passions and we're, we're changing the the title to connect with courage um because i think that's just a little bit more apt but it's completely what we're talking about it's the the idea so in my practice i was seeing kids come in with higher levels of anxiety and depression and, and be feeling unable to talk to their parents about these things even to their loving supportive wonderful parents And a lot of it was because they had some interest and they felt like that interest wasn't supported. 
they were feeling like their interests or their wants or their their sense of who they were was wrong or bad or weird or something. And that was contributing to more anxiety and lower self-esteem. And then when I'd explore and poke around with them, a lot of the common theme that I found was that they were getting this message because they'd say like, I'm interested in A. And then when the important adults in their life were saying things like, interest A is dumb, stupid, or stop doing interest A so much, or that's all you ever do, or you're addicted or obsessed, or that kind of sort of negative derogatory language, then kids internalize that as if interest A is wrong or bad or dumb, but I like interest A, then I must Mm. be wrong or bad or dumb. And so over and over and over again to on a whole spectrum of severity, but um, I was seeing this really impacting kids and their level, then their self-esteem. And so, um, kind of part of my like life mission, I just started to talk to people about when they feel supported, when they don't, how parents can help support the connections that we do make when we are supported in our interests. Um, and I just pulled out some of the, I think I was gonna say a few of the common, I think I pulled out like 20 something of the common barriers that parents have in supporting their interests. And the book is kind of a balance between the philosophy of why we should support kids' interests with logistics of, all right, but you have limited money and you have limited time. What do we do with those barriers? Because even the most loving, supportive parents sometimes struggle with, all right, you're on hour like 14 of Minecraft. How do I support this? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, so that's what the book is, is just kind of a connection, helping parents connect more with their kids and then helping see the possible connections that their kids can make through those interests as well. Okay. That's fantastic. And would, would that also apply? So for example, cause I'm just thinking about relating it to where we live as well. If a, a child is really extremely interested in something and say they want to pursue it more, but it's just, you know, to draw to get to that place is far away. Maybe it's three hours or two hours or longer, how a parent can best help and support in that way if they don't have the time or or money to drive continuously for that. That's one of the chapters, as a matter of fact. (laughs) (laughs) You got to send me this book and I got to have it out here in in our community for sure. um, And it's all based, I did a workbook to start, it's funny, I was creating like a work page kind of a thing for a client. And, you know, I looked up like 80 pages later and my friend was like, so that's a workbook, publish that. (laughs) So that is available right now just as a download on my website for $10. And then that workbook is what I am expanding into this book. So it's got more writing and and more of this, but it's also got a lot of, it's hands-on and designed so that people can write in it and process stuff and kind of a little mobile therapy with Roya session. Um, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Can we go to your website and download the workbook without getting the book yet? Or do we need to have the yes. book as a companion? No, the, work, to go the workbook is still out and will actually stop being out once the book is. So if you want both, you got to go get the workbook now. Um, and it's at royadato.com. And I just revamped my site. So for some reason it's not working. Let me know. I'll go check that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Last time I went on, it was working. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, and then the book is going to be through Pam Larikia's Press Forever oh, Curious. Yeah. Yes. I love Pam. Yes. She is so wonderful. Yes. So wonderful. So we're, we're almost done. We're working on the little last section. And um, so there is a, if you go on Forever Curious, press.com slash Roya, there's a landing page so you can get signed up to... Um, get notified when that book comes out. 
Awesome. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to include, include all of this in the show notes. And I might actually ask, ask you to send me a few links just in case if I missed anything, but I will include your website, forevercuriouspress.com slash Roya as well, you know, where point them to where they can get the workbook while it's still available. And uh, there were some other great references. I mean, Peter Gray, of course, and um, is it Jane McGonagall? Jane McGonagall. Yeah. And, yeah. I'll read that. So many. Okay. I will include that as well as, yeah, everything that where we can connect with you. So I'll make sure that we have that. Sounds good. Yeah. I'm trying to actually, that's, there's so many different projects I'm working on that that's part of why I was revamping my site was to have them all in one place. So soon there will be a podcast. Um, it, my email list is going to be a little more active soon. All of that you can get to from royadato.com. Roydata.com. Okay. Fantastic. I will make sure that is included. Thank you so much for taking the time and chatting. And I, I know it's uh, we could I could talk about play and the importance of that and supporting health in every way for for hours. So thank you for taking the time that you did have to share of that. Of course, I think it's important work. If you ever uh, you know need a part two, let me know because again, hours and hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, I really will. So I will take you up on that offer. <laughs> any any uh, microphone I get to talk about play, I, I think. <laughs> Good. You've got this microphone. You've got this outlet right here. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. This was a delight. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Mm-hmm.